Hello and welcome to the pep talk. You're back with your two favorite bald frauds talking all things Manchester City after a nice 3-1 win. You know, 3-1 wins aren't for every team in Manchester. So, uh, <laughs> nice to be on the winning end of this one. Uh, how's, always, how's Australia, Jason? <laughs> it's always good to start a podcast shitting on, shitting on Manchester United. <laughs> it's always a good start, definitely. Australia is good. Um, Sydney is very, very, very hot right now. Um, 35 degrees, 34 degrees um, in September, which is strange. Um, so mm. yeah, we're nearly we're hitting nearly forty degrees here, but otherwise it's going good. You know, City undefeated and Manchester United are shit, so you can't complain about anything else. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it makes the hot weather much better. Yep, how's Ohio? Uh, well, Kentucky technically, but cl- close Kentucky, enough. Yes, close uh, enough. It's on the border, close enough. <laughs> um, it's pretty hot here too right now. It's generally hotter than normal. I think today is like 85, 90 degrees, which is, I, I don't know what that is in, in Celsius. <laughs> we, we, should have a, is, <laughs> we should have a conversion table ready for pre-intros on, on podcasts to discuss weather. <laughs> some, for the, think, some for the Americans, some for the Australians. <laughs> I would say it's like, it's like 30 to 32 Celsius. Oh, wow. That's like, hot. It's, yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's pretty hot for for here, especially, and it's quite humid because I live pretty close to a river. So, jeez, uh, yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah, we, yeah we've got so it's fun. Yeah, we've got record temperatures apparently for September. So it's always fun. Yeah, early spring. Yeah, got a little. Early spring feels like hot, hot summer. So yeah, what, what do you? Oh do? yeah, yeah. For <laughs> you, it's early spring. For me, it's early fall. It's yeah, like exactly. The, the leaves are starting to fall and starting <laughs> yeah, exactly. to get a little cooler, and everyone starts getting pumpkin spice lattes and apple crisp <laughs> macchiatos and <laughs> shit like that. It's wonderful. Awesome. Should we should we get some <laughs> should we get cracking about um, Manchester City? Yeah. So in a completely different part of the world than both of us, <laughs> over in, in London, England, there's a little there's a little game. Manchester City against West Ham. Um, as always, let's start with the lineup, with City's lineup. Um, it, the 11 almost picks itself just because of almost. the injuries. Um, so, I mean, were you surprised? Really, probably the biggest or only surprise would be Doku. I was not surprised at all, to be honest. Like, uh, if you see my tweet and, and I sent in the in the WhatsApp group as well, um, I basically picked the lineup. To the exact for the first time, <laughs> I got I got the Pep Roulette right for once. Um, but no, so I wasn't surprised at all. I, I just thought that would be the lineup. It seems like with Ake and Gavardio, he's going to rotate him a fair bit to start the season um, until he's comfortable with who he wants. And I, I think eventually it will end up being Gavardio. Um, but again, he'll he'll choose different the two different those two different players uh, based on who we're playing. But otherwise, with the injuries that we had. I don't think you could have changed much, really. Yeah, and also, like, Ake can play in the middle of that back three as well to give Diaz a rest. So, mm. um, it, Which we'll it, need to do. Or, or Akanji, because, like, Diaz can move over to the right of the three and Ake can yep. play centrally. So, um, it, yeah, I mean, 
uh, we've already talked about this, but essentially it feels like it just doesn't matter who's in our back line. They're going to be great regardless. <laughs> basically. So, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, Doku, I guess, kind of surprised. I mean, it didn't really surprise me. I knew some. it was going to be either him or... Uh, Nunez, right? Or Nunez or Rico Lewis. I, I, I thought it would there could actually be a good chance of it being Rico. Yeah. I I feel like I feel like with Doku, you know, because the thing is if you if you if you don't play Doku, that means you're playing Bernardo on the wing, right? So I feel like you need that directness that he gives. And now that we have it, it's good to have him on. So I, I feel like that's the, the thought process. And we'll get to his performance in a bit, but you know, obviously the choice made sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, obviously, he was he was absolutely incredible, and yeah, <laughs> obviously we'll get to that. But yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, like I don't know, maybe it's me. I don't really think he's like I I don't know. I don't think he's super direct. I think he is kind of direct when he needs to be. And okay, let's let's just get into the game because this will this will be a bigger <laughs> talk about Doku in general. Um, so, all right, game started out, uh, said he had a ton of chances in like the first 10 minutes. See, like yeah, that, man. That one sequence where they should have scored like four times. Um, <laughs> you know when that happened? I was just like, I was just like, I'm like, are you going to be kidding me? This is, it was the first five minutes where we had like four shots in a row, right? I was just like, no way that just happened. Like, surely the ball should have been in the back of the net by now. <clears throat> I think yeah, who had one a, was think- cleared off the line. Yeah, it was Rodri had two shots. Diaz had yeah, a header Rod- at the end. I think Harlan had a Rodri had a header at first, and then it went out to Foden. Foden put it back in. Rodri had a shot. It was blocked by a player. He had another one. It got through, and I think Harlan <laughs> tipped it, and it was cleared off the line. Then popped up back out. Then Diaz had a header, and that was tipped out of the <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't. I, I could not believe we didn't score. I, th- I think we accumulated about one xG from that sequence. <laughs> Seriously, and <laughs> and Doku, like I, I think what was really interesting in the first, you know, whatever twenty minutes is, it was just Doku. Like Doku was just cooking Kufal. Like oh, yeah, seemingly yeah. every single time we go, it's just like it was like clockwork. It was a switch to Doku. And, and just he let just him cook. One, and he just and he just cooked, and it was really fun to watch, just because he's uh, it was like that Terry Henry quote where he just said like if if you're one on one with him, like just just pray. That's exactly. basically what it was. Exactly. Yeah, man. Like that. This this game was actually, and we were talking about this before the game started. It was probably the most fun game I've had watching City so far this season. Um, all the other games we've watched, they've been a bit more tense, a bit more uh, rigid. But this was just, you know, I don't know what it was. I think maybe it was a quality that West Ham had and we were playing away from home. But it was just a back and forth game, the whole game. It was, it, it was a fun game. Even though we went down 1-0 um, to, start the, to start the game, you know, pure counterattack as expected from West Ham. That's, you know, that's, that's the, the play style they were playing against us. Um. It was just back and forth so much, though. It was it was actually so fun to watch, and and the chances that we had were like over the top. Like we could have easily been up three, four goals up in that first half. Well, did Harlan oh, yeah. have did Harlan have two 
real, really, really centers. big opportunities where like yeah, nine times so out of ten other, he scores those. Yeah, so other than the one the sequence we just talked about that got cleared off the line in two saves, then Holland there was the one where it was the one time Doku got it on the wing and he gets doubled. Bowen comes down and Doku split like he passes right in between the double to Gvardiol, who's on the edge of the box, and he kind of puts like this weird low cross and somehow it gets through everyone and it and Holland's at the back post wide open mm. and he just like right foots it and just slices it right out of bounds when he could have it was essentially a tap in. Like, yeah, I feel. I, I feel like I don't ha- know what the XG for that shot was, but it was a lot. I, I, I've got some Harlan stats for you in a bit. So I feel like Harlan doesn't struggles a little bit though with his um. <laughs> sorry, excuse me. I feel like he struggles a little bit with his right foot more than his left foot. Obviously, he's naturally left footed. You know, he's he's such a fantastic finisher that when he does have those chances, you just expect him to score. So when he doesn't score, you're just like, oh, <laughs> he missed. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. We're so used to him now that, like, because we've had him for a season, and you just, as soon as you see him in that position, you just expect the, the ball to hit the back of the net. And he got to half time and was like, like, shit, we played really, really, really good this half. It's just, we just haven't scored. It was just one of those games where it's like, we haven't scored, but we've been the much better team. And Doku, like you said, was cooking. He made one, one mistake where he miscontrolled the ball and then it ended up on a counterattack. But otherwise, I can't fault us, you know, and me and you were talking about this before, before you were saying like, I was saying, I feel like we dominate him. Then you said, I don't feel like we did for me. I feel like we absolutely crushed them in, in terms of performance and in terms of like all this, all the statistics, you know, besides a couple of counterattacks they had, I feel like we should have easily been up. I feel like we played better today or not today, sorry, but against West Ham than we did against Fulham, for example. Um, Yes. Yeah, I, I would say so. We definitely played better against Fulham. I I would no, say against Fulham. No, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying we played better against West Ham than Fulham. No, no, I agree with that. That's mm. what I meant. Sorry. I think that we probably played better against Sheffield United though. Personally, cuz Sheffield United barely had a sniff. And yeah. we created but- plenty of chances. They had more chances to create but also like I think we shouldn't discount that West Ham is a pretty good team. Like they yeah, they're have, good this season. They're good this season. Like Paqueta is legitimately a a city level player. Like he's that good. Yeah, I was watching him play, and the way he was just fending off our midfield and passing through them and dribbling around, I'm just like, yeah, he would have been really good for us. He would have been perfect yeah. for us. Oh, also, so that Holland chance that we were just talking about, he missed it with his left foot. Um, was his left foot? Footage. Yeah, he like he he kind of tried to square his body. That's probably why he missed it then. <laughs> and it was his left foot, and that chance was like 0.4 xg, wow. which is a yeah. pretty high chance. Um, but yeah, it overall though, like it was pretty good. I think we gave them some opportunities, but at least, like like I said, they have really good quality. Like Paqueta is. A legitimate like city level player. James Ward Prowse is a, is very good. Edson Alvarez I thought was very good as well. Um, so they have like a legitimate midfield. Um, Antonio is just kind of like a big bully up front, so he can always like he's got pace and power. Like 
Jared Bowen's a good player. They like they have a they've, yeah they've got they've got they very good quality good players. James yes. Ward Prowse is a very underrated player. I feel like he yeah, doesn't get he, the props that he deserves. He's such a fantastic those like every time West Ham had a set piece or a corner, I was like, oh god, here we go because those crosses that he whips in, wow, absolutely fantastic. With- I, I wish we had someone with the quality to put that type of ball in. We we actually don't have good. Like outside of Kevin De Bruyne, we don't really have anyone that puts good balls in. Even on corners, even with Kevin De Bruyne, we're not that great. And you know, we've seen Foden, <laughs> Foden hit, hit a corner and went over, went over the line of the behind the goal. Yeah, you, yeah. that should never happen, right? But it does. But you see, every time that West Ham had a had a set piece, that ball is being whipped in almost perfectly, and yet, like the defenders had to be on point. And I think Edison made a great save in the second half. We'll talk about that a bit later, but. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a very quality side. Absolute quality side. Yeah, like that That midfield is could legitimately be like a Champions League level midfield. Like that, they're, they're pretty which is good. Crazy, which is crazy, the fact that they lost Declan Rice, right? So they've lost Declan Rice and they look just as good, if not better than last season. What they finished last season? 15th? You know, I know that won the European Cup, which means but they're probably focusing on that towards the end of the season. They didn't really have pa- a great season last season. Paqueta wasn't really very good until about the last month or two. Hmm. He started really like betting in and, and getting better. And now you see him this year, like he he looks even better. He's quality man. At the end of last year, he's really really good. Like I, it would not if and I, I think I told you this um, and earlier this week in a text that. Um, he if if all any of this investigation if he gets cleared from it, it it wouldn't hurt me at all if City went back for him. Like I would I would love him on our team. I wonder. So if Ben, you, I, I feel like I feel like we only go for him next season if but we know Bernardo is going. So if Bernardo end up going, we go for Paqueta. Because I feel like maybe Nunes, or, yeah, because Nunes fills that void. I feel like the next player we get has to be a really attacking. Like type midfielder well, and as a can works. do that. He, I think he can. He can, that. but I feel like he's he's. And you've seen it in the game. He's such a good eight that I feel like you'd hurt your team putting him so far forward because he's so good at keeping the ball, so good at winning the ball. And you know, you, there was plays where he he had like Bernardo and Foden on him, and he just he dribbled the ball in both of them, put a through ball to Bowen, and it's like I'm like, oh god, all right, he's quality, like. He's he'd, he'd actually fit so well into that eight role for us. Well, actually, I mean, our eights play like tens almost. Like I think yes. he can play deeper, but like to me, I see a lot of David Silva in him. You do. That, that's yeah. Like I think he can. <laughs> I really think he can play much higher. I he can play deeper, but I think he'd be best at much higher up. Yeah, and but, I, like I think yeah, I would love him. It would be, in- be interesting to see because only only for the fact because we bought Nunes, though, so that's why I'm thinking like, how would they now go around there? Had they fit the would, profile they wanted because of Nunes, or did they go back for Paqueta? And it would say, be okay. almost like a long term replacement for Kevin De Bruyne, kind of. Well, technically, Foden I think is the long term replacement for De Bruyne, like in terms yeah. of just like the the world class <laughs> game breaker. Like midfielder. Maybe, it's Al- maybe it's Alvarez right now. <laughs> maybe. Uh, who knows? But uh, yeah. like, 
I think that like if if it was more like okay, De Bruyne is clearly like inching towards the end of his career and just can't play as much. It wouldn't surprise me if Paqueta was like that guy. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, an interesting um, proposition. How how we're gonna go about who we get into that midfield next season? But let's let's not, let's not get too deep into next season. Yeah. We're, still, we're still five games into this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> so back on back on West Ham. Nice, nice little segue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the first half overall, West Ham was definitely getting better towards the end of the half. And you know, yeah, I agree. I agree. I feel like, I feel like that yeah, I feel like that first 15 to 20 minutes we could have been up 2-3-0. Like being honest, right? That's how much that's how many good chances we created and how many yeah, just on another day, Ariola made some really good saves, you know. I feel like he just had something in him today in that game where it's like I'm just going to stop Haaland from scoring. That's what it felt like. Um Well, then Haaland had that other sitter that was cleared off the line. Yeah, no, Goku, exactly. Exactly. Cooked Kufal. Then again, <laughs> flashed it across the goal with his left foot, and Holland just like he got his right foot on it, and it was cleared off the line just because he didn't get great contact on it. Like it, it still would have gone in the goal if yeah. somebody wasn't on the line, but it just wasn't clean enough and got cleared off the line. Yeah. Um, so we, like yeah. So like like I said, we could have easily been up in that first twenty minutes, but then West Ham got into the game. They started applying a bit more pressure. Um, you know, we started making a bit more sloppy mistakes, like the the Doku one, um, and basically they got they got a goal from that. It was it was a great goal, great cross straight into James Ward Prowse, great great finish. Um, could, we could have defended it a little bit better, but it's one of those counter attacks that just it's going to happen this season, right? We dominate the ball that much, and we and we try control possession that much, but you see how important it is with our wingers. To be able to get that first touch right, because when you do go as an outlet to your winger, you're technically your defense and your and your team's out of shape a little bit. So if you lose the ball in that area, you can see how quick that West Ham were able to counter with an advantage. So that's why, and this is this is the advantage. And then I was saying we were talking about this before, like you know, Grealish and Doku had different types of players for me. Um, but like Grealish would be perfect against a team like Bayern Munich or Real Madrid, where you want that control, you want that possession, because Grealish never loses the ball. He's just it's like a magnet. It's just he just doesn't lose it. He can dribble around five players and and then he won't lose the ball. And he has a defensive tenacity to come back and and do what he needs to do. So you can see how how and why we, Pep likes to have that control. We make one mistake and he ends up on a goal on the other side. So. That will happen, but I think with time, Doku will get better and better with his first touch, and you know, but he gives us something else as well on the on the attacking end, right? It was like <laughs> comes in the second half and just goes through what five players. Yeah, I <laughs> think a goal. <laughs> I, I think that one thing that he brings is that that Mares was really the only player. Mares or maybe Foden were the only players where like. You switch it out to them, they're one-on-one, and they just go. And you just let them use their God-given talent to to cook the guy yeah. that they're going against. And Doku might even be better than Mars. Because Mars was really good because <laughs> he was also two-footed, which helped. Like, he could... Like, I feel like Doku's no more two-footed. Doku's more yeah, two-footed. Yeah, Doku's even more two-footed. He's very yeah. comfortable just going to his left and flashing the ball across the goal. And also... 
Doku isn't limited to one side. Like Mares, you can't play him on left wing. Yeah. Doku, you can Doku can do that on either side. Doku so, played almost 180 minutes on the on the left wing, which is surprising. <laughs> we yeah, brought him in as a right winger. He's he's so good at both that it doesn't really matter where you play him. But I think one thing that uh, and this will get more in the second half when we do a bald fraud tactics talk. But I think that Pep was sort of annoyed that we really had no way to attack in the first half other than Doku. Like, were any other chances created other than the corner and anything Doku did? Like, nothing basically, really. Yeah, basically Doku created everything. There was a couple of pop shots, I think. Maybe I think Roger had a pop shot from outside, but I don't know. I feel like yeah, every chance, every, every, like you're, you're right, we couldn't go through the center because West Ham were playing quite narrow. But every time very the ball, compact. Yeah, but every every time the ball went out to Doku, that was basically he would just he'd go to work, cook, and we'd create a chance almost every, almost you know every single time. Um, so yeah, and I agree with you. I think that's one thing that I love about Doku and um, why he may. I think. There are things he's obviously going to have to learn, right? Like everybody knows that you're never your best in your first season under Pep in terms of especially like work rate and um, positioning and that kind of stuff. But one thing that he's always had is he knows when to go and when not to go. And that's that's really hard. His decision-making is on point so far. Yeah, it's... it's, at least I noticed that when I would watch him for Ren, because she, like when everybody was looking at like how many successful dribbles he had per game, and it was like way more than everybody else in the top five leagues. In yeah, he's that's insane. <laughs> but also his percentage was super high, which tells you that he's smart and that he knows when he like he knows when to go. That's because his percentage is high. Because you could have. You know, most dribbles per game, but if your success rate is 20 or 30%, then okay, you're just going to try to dribble people every time. It's like Adama Traore type stuff, where you're just going to try to do it every time, whether you're successful or not. Yeah, but, exactly. his, but his percentage was super high on top of him doing all those dribbles, which shows good decision making. He knows when to go and knows when not to go. And like Grealish just started figuring this out like like six months ago. So yeah, literally, it's, yeah, he it's figured, not he figured easy. Out what, Jan- January, January, January this year, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not easy to figure out, and Doku seems very good at that already. Like he's very good at recognizing when when the second man comes to like to pass it off. That's what created that first Holland sitter. Second man comes, he passes it off, and, and kind of his That's decision chance, yeah. making is really really good. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually very impressed with decision making. But do you know what? Do you know what I like about Doku? And I've said this before. Um, something we lacked last season on the wings was fear, and Doku is a player that puts fear into opponents. I'd hate to be a fullback playing against a player like Doku, because oh yeah, because nine times out of ten he's gonna go at you. And you don't know which side he's going to go on. So, he can go right or left and dribble around you each way. That's what's so impressive about him. And he's faster than everyone. He's fucking rapid. So, it doesn't matter. (laughs) So, he can go either way and he's just way faster than... It's like... He's a bullet, dude. It's like if Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez had a baby. 
and decided to like spit out a winger. He's like he had all the best qualities of both of them. And it's just like it's scary. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it's it's fear, and I love I love when we have wingers that put fear into opponents because what it does as well. So, and this is something that we, and I feel like it's a it's a good trend for us to have when we've got someone like Haaland in the middle. Haaland attracts so much attention and so much gravity from the other defenders that you basically can't switch off for him for a second because he'll run left or right, and he and he can and he's such such a good finish that you have to be on. 100% every single time. But now that you've got a winger like Doku driving at you, who's so quick and so fast and agile, he cuts through left or right, that fear is back into the into the into the wings and it's it's fantastic to see. So like there'll be games where I think where and and we'll come to Foden a little bit. I feel like Foden had didn't have the best game, but when Foden's clicking and if he's on the wing as well and you've got both Doku and Foden clicking on both sides, that is a scary proposition for, for 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 Premier League defenses, and even the commentators were saying they're like, "Ah, oh, you know, City found another gem in, in Doku." Whereas, like Premier League Premier Leagues are just looking, at, Premier League teams are just looking at this this new player that City have got straight off you know off the rails, and it's like, "Yep, we're ready to go again." Here's here's a winger to put fear <laughs> the fear in God in you. <laughs> I yeah, like I absolutely love it. <laughs> 50, 55 million pounds looks like a steal for him. Like, oh yeah, yeah, a legitimate steal. If if you watch Chelsea play yesterday, and you'll see what an eighty million winger does, and you watched United as well with their two eighty-five million wingers, then yeah, the ones that <laughs> it are is a the ones that are sitting at home, yeah, <laughs> yeah the ones that are sitting at home basically, yeah, the ones that are training <laughs> with the U eighteens. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, he's yeah, he he was just. He had a great game. He's he looks like he's adapting much quicker. Even Pep said it after the game. He thought I did not think he would be this good this quickly, and it's just that natural talent. You just it, Grealish. He's got to worry about his position, which is good. I think it's a good thing. I feel like yeah, I, feel I like- think it's a good thing too. And I also think like Doku can also you know go on the right side as well. So like there's plenty of playing time for everyone. And yeah, Grealish be just minutes. He does things a little bit differently because I honestly, I think Grealish strikes fear into opponents as well, not in the same way. Like, Doku gives a level of dynamism, and we talked about when he first signed, like, how he might not be the best this year, but he will just do things that just make you go, wow, because he's that kind of player. Whereas Grealish is kind of, Grealish is like kind of the opposite, right? He doesn't do a bunch of wow things, but he still, like, Teams still fear him because anytime he gets the ball out on the wing, there's two men there every single yeah, time. They correct. never leave him isolated. And sometimes it frustrates us because he'll kind of like dilly-dally around there while there's two men. He, he doesn't make his mind quick up enough, but teams still fear him because there's two – like anytime he touches the ball, there's two guys on him. So it's it's nice. It'll be nice to see both of them. Like Doku Yeah, Grealish Doku on well. the side. Yeah, that'd be great actually. So it it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun, and you know, like we said, the the first basically the first sequence of the second half um, honestly looked like something out of the training ground, though. Like it was, <laughs> it was. I think West Ham was like still asleep. There was really nothing like super tactical about it. It was just West Ham seemed like they were asleep, and. 
they're like getting ready for the second half, and next thing you know, Doku's running at Kufal at full speed, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh no, this isn't good." Yeah, yeah. man. That that. Uh, what what do you think of the of the goal altogether? There, it was beautiful. It was it's really nice because you don't like if you're Kufal, you don't you can't dive in because you don't know what he's going to do, and he's way too quick for you. So you have to just keep backpedaling. But you don't know whether he's going to switch it onto his left and put it across the goal. You don't know if he's going to pass it off to somebody. You don't know if he's going to shoot. You don't know if he's going to cut in and shoot too. Like he, there's just so many things that he can do, and he he made the right decision that time. Like he just he shot it when nobody was seemingly expected him to shoot. Like didn't look like it was a big windup or anything. It just like it just went. Yeah, no, I, I loved that. I was just, I was just like. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I love this. As soon as, as soon as he did that move and he just like, it was just so direct the way he went into the box. And I was like, I love it. I, we finally have a winger again that just, just dives straight into the box. He just put his head down and just went straight in <laughs> and dribbled around what was it, three or four players and then just had a quick shot as well. Perfect. I yeah, loved it. it was, he, he's a quick shot player, was really cool. The yeah, quick shot was really player. cool because he, yeah. That, that quick shot, honestly, it reminded me of, like, something Terry Henry does, where he's, like, yeah. driving in, and you don't know what, like, which side he's going to go to, or even if he's going to, like, cut in, and he just, like, gets a shot off when you don't expect it. You almost think it's, like, too early for him to get a shot off. Yeah. Kevin De Bruyne is actually very good at that as well, getting getting the ball out very quickly out of his seat to, to get a shot off. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of that goal last season against Arsenal, uh, where, where he just, like, Ramsdale just didn't know the ball was coming at him and oh that's right yeah he, he yeah it's that type of quickness where you can get out of your feet I think that's what hurts Grealish a little bit in terms of shooting he has a very long wind up to his shot so you kind of know when the shot's coming but so that to see hurt that Jesus and Sterling too yeah exactly exactly but with Doki just poo, it comes straight out <laughs> which is which is what you want to see from a, from a fast agile winger like that so I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing how he develops this season and. And like we said, you know, most most attacking players for City don't don't actually you know excel till the season after. So if he gets if he has a decent season where he gets like you know seven to ten goals and you know five to ten assists, that's a good season for him in, in my opinion. And then by next season he'll be even he'll he'll be even better. So I'm not worried at all. I feel like I feel like he's going to be a absolute fantastic player. Yes, absolutely. Um- so let's get into the second half. Let's, let's start with some bald fraud tactics, Tom. Yeah, man, go dive I mean, into your tactics because we did change it up a little bit. Yeah, so we changed it up in the second half. So in the first half, we saw a lot of the walker high and wide on the right-hand side, and then Bernardo kind of dropped into that double pivot with Rodri to make up the 3-2 in build-up, right? And then in the second half... We didn't do that. What we did is it was more of a 2-3 in build-up. So we had um, Diaz and Akanji as the two. And then up next to Rodri, we had Walker pretty narrow and Gvardiol pretty narrow. And Gvardiol likes to roam forward a lot anyway, so he did it in the first half as well. But Mm -hmm. um, it was more of like that 2-3 in build-up. And then Foden out on the right wing. And then Bernard, like Foden and Bernardo were switching a lot between like the right wing and like the right eight. So like it, it, it wasn't really like one was a right winger and one was a right sided eight. They, they just switched a lot. And then when Foden came off, Bernardo was almost permanently out there. 
but essentially like the the front five didn't have Walker as the right-sided guy with width. It had Bernardo or Foden. And what that did is I liked it because City didn't really need help with a buildup. Like they weren't pressing City high. So you didn't really need Bernardo to drop deeper. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is like we, we were just talking about how basically every chance was created by Doku in the first half. And West Ham were super compact. So that a lot of that was caused by Walker being wide right doesn't really strike fear in West Ham at all. Like they, they, <laughs> basically, they basically didn't give a shit when he was out there on the right. And so putting Foden or Bernardo out there, now all of a sudden that attracts attention and that widens them a little bit and that opens up the middle. Because if you see, like, Paqueta was almost like a like a left wing back for most of the second half. Like, he was out there almost making up a back five covering either Bernardo or Foden. And what that did is it opened up the middle and you saw it. Most of our chances in the second half all came through the middle. Like, there was Bernardo's goal, which was a little dink from Alvarez through the middle. There was Rodri's dink over to Holland, where Holland, like, scorpion kicked it or whatever. And that was another great save by Areola. Um, also, <laughs> I'll, come right to Holland. I'll come to Holland in a second. I've got some funny stats for you um, with his big chances and, and his XG for this game. Because, like I said, he should have had more than a hat trick this game. But I'll, I'll give you some funny stats in a bit. Yeah. And so... What I liked about that move is at first, you know, my first instinct was maybe this is so Walker can hang back a little bit and help with the counterattack. But I actually think it's more of creating more in the final third and kind of stretching them out. And that makes it and that not only creates more chances for City in the middle, but it also makes it harder for them to counterattack because they're defending deep in their own box and they're stretched out. Like if Paqueta is over like almost as another left wing back, it's going to be really hard for him to get on the ball and dictate their counterattack. So um, it, it kind of did both things. And I just thought it was, it was fascinating. Like they, it just stretched them out and city were able to find so much more space in the middle and created a ton of chances right through the middle. Yeah. It's, it's actually interesting about how you said the, the slight tactical shift actually helped us on the defensive end. So in, in the first half, West Ham actually created, I think, 0.7 xG. The second half, they created 0.2. So we like limited their chances even even further. Although a lot of that 0.7 came from their actual goal, I think it was a, it was like 0.4. You can still see that we didn't actually give them much chances in that second half. I think they only had that one chance was was the the Zuma header off the off a off the um the corner where Edison yeah. had a, done a really really good save. You know. Um, stretch oh, that one, that one Emerson chance as well, where Kanji, Kanji had that slide tackle in. Got yes, out. yeah. I think I don't think that. that well. I don't, I'm not sure if that counts as a shot though, so that's probably why it doesn't show up there. But uh, but no, otherwise, it but that was a good chance. Yeah, but otherwise they didn't really create or or get through us that much. Um, and the tactical shift as well, like it helped us on the on the attacking end. And like I said, we could have been up two, three goals in that first half. So I'll give you some interesting Haaland stats, all right? So so big chances created this season. This is prior to the Chelsea and Arsenal game. So uh, apologies if, if, you know, people created a lot of chances in these games, but I'll just give you some stats. So Jackson this season has had seven big chances, Jackson for Chelsea. Haaland in game weeks one to four has seven as well, right? 
Mbwemwe had six, Edouard had five, Watkins had five, Darwin had five. In game week five, Haaland had six big chances. (laughs) (laughs) He had as much chances, big chances this game alone as everyone else for the whole season so far in one game week. Right? Non penalty XG, right? So not penalties included, right? (laughs) Game week, Edouard and Jackson are both over three XG. Right, Harlan in game weeks one to four had two point eight. In game week five, he had two point six nine xg. Yeah, so look, another day, another day. Harlan has three or four goals in this game. That's how many chances, big chances he had. And we know he's an absolute clinical finisher, right? So, and I think that was the big surprise in this game. Where it's like he missed a big, a few big chances, and he's like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like. It's just not his, not his day, right? Like, it just happens sometimes. But the amount of chances he had in this game, another day we're, we're up 5-0 and it's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> we're absolutely smashing him. But you can see how just not finishing those big chances. And I said it at halftime, like, we're just not finishing our lunch. You know, we just need to, we just need to put the ball in the back of the net and things will work out. But the, t- the slight tactical shift helped open up the game a little bit more for other players outside of Harlan. And I think Areola just had it in Harland <laughs> besides the last goal. He finally got the goal, uh, you know, the, to, to go up 3-1. But I feel like Areola just had it in for him. He's like, I'm, I'm going to save everything on throws at me today. Uh, he made some great saves. Like like, like you said, that, that acrobatic, um, what was it? It's like a volley slash scissor kick. I don't know what it was, but it's a typical Harlan athletic move. Where he, where he launched that at Ariel another day that's just going that's just rifling into the back of the net so yeah and he could have stolen Bernardo's goal too yeah he let, let he, let <laughs> he let it go he let it go he let it go in case he was offside which is which is shows the mentality he wasn't, that he has he wasn't offside but yeah he wasn't he wasn't I know but it shows the mentality that he has like let other people score it's about winning the game and that put us up 2-1 and basically from there we had almost full control of the game you know West out of struggling. Do you did you like the subs that um that uh that Pep did, or were you surprised? So I think it was a sixty or sixty fifth minute where Nunes came on for Foden. Yeah, I, I went back and tried to work out why he did that because at that point it was one one. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it was two one yet. No, it so was one all. It was one one when he did it. I was trying to work out why. My guess is that. Foden was kind of giving the ball away a little too much, and yeah, Foden was probably Foden, bothering. Yeah, that. Foden had and, a poor game for his quality. To be fair, and I, and yeah, I blame and I, Garrett. I, I blame Gareth Southgate for that. <laughs> 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 he shot his confidence. He went to England, dude. He shot his confidence down, and then he came back, and then he gives us a poor performance. It's, it's Southgate's fault. It's not Foden's fault. <laughs> yeah, and I think Nunes provides a lot of energy in midfield, which I think I think Pep kind of knew, like a second goal is going to come. And so Nunez gives just that kind of dog in midfield where he, you saw it, like he, he would just run and yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Nunez looked good. He even, he even went on the underlap, which created Bernardo's goal, or at least like created the sequence for it. Um, he made that run on the underlap and having kind of a right footer there makes things a little easier, I guess, like, cause he's on a strong foot able to put it in the box. So, um, and, I don't really know why, but I mean, I'm not going to complain. It, it obviously worked, or it could have just been Foden was tired um, and was kind yeah, of getting a little yeah. lazy on the ball, and Nunez was the natural person to go in there. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like it did work. It did the, the sub made worked. 
I, 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 the first sixty minutes, I was thinking, yeah, Foden's not having the best game. He's given up. He's given away the ball a few times. What 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 he was trying to do a lot his little half turn that he does um, when he receives the ball in midfield. West Ham actually played him really, really, really well. So as soon as the ball was coming into Foden, they were pushing a man up on him, and basically a lot of a few times, basically Foden ran into the man and, and lost the ball. Um, so it was a combination of West Ham playing him well and obviously and, and Foden not having the best game. But he hasn't played midfield that much for him to to excel uh, in, in the role yet. But you know we, we know he's got the quality to do it. He's done it against Newcastle. He's, he's played on the wing a few times as well this season, and he's looked quality. It's just one of those games right after international break. I'm not that concerned. Um, no, it just like, happens. Yeah, yeah, it just happens. Exactly. Those games where, where where you have a couple of players not having the best performances, but Bernardo was playing really really well, and you know him moving to the wing kind of opened things up, allowed us to to create more chances and be balanced. I think on the wings and the midfield with Nunes in. So yeah, I kind Nunez, of, I kind Nunez of, I is kind running like can sub. move guys around. Yeah, I kind of like the sub. So and like you said, Nunes he done the overlap run for the first goal, but he also did it again for the second goal for the third goal. Sorry. So when Bernardo passed Haaland, it was actually Nunes running right through the middle to open it up a little bit, and then that uh, that allowed Haaland to to get a little bit free, so he can have a, a clean shot on the goal and finally score. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I was happy with the sub. I think I feel like it did work, and he looks quality. He looks really good. He looked he looked comfortable. And that's and that's that, and that's a positive for me. You know, to have a player like that ready to go. Um, I feel like this season we're gonna need we're gonna need the players that have come in hit the ground running to, to be successful this season so you know whether it be Kovacic obviously looks like he's fitting right in um, but Nunes and Doku especially need to need to hit the ground running this season for us to be really really good and look we're, we're five games into the season we haven't lost you know we've, we've basically I don't think we've had a really really poor game we've had a few poor first halves I'd say uh, to start the season I think the the Fulham first half was absolutely horrible the First half against Sheffield wasn't the best, but otherwise we haven't really had really bad performances, and we've had a lot of injuries so far. You know, what are we missing? Four first team players right now. So Grealish, Stones, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne, and Kovacic were all out. So that's four players that you'd expect if we were playing a Champions League final tomorrow. You'd expect probably those four players would start. So to have four four first team players out to go to West Ham away come away with a 3-1 win and it was a convincing win. You know, if you look at all the statistics and the chances we created, another day we could be we could have been up five, six goals <laughs> with the amount of chances Haaland had alone. So it's just one of those days where it's like I can't, I can't complain how we're playing and I know the team's a little bit thin, but we have a lot of wins. So you can't what do, what do you do when you have this many this many first team first team injuries? If you've got four first team players out, it's fine. We're still we're still getting the results, and that's what that's what's really important. We've got fifteen points to start the season. We've never had a good start yeah. like this since <laughs> since Pep's first Pep's season. First season. Let's hope yeah. it doesn't go the same way as Pep's first season. But but yeah, basically, we haven't had a poor, poor this this much of a good start to the season in uh, seven years. So I can't yeah, and complain. That's, and- what I love about it that it's very encouraging that, um, like this is like City's only going to improve from here because we have four guys out; those guys will come back, and we have four new guys who are only going to keep getting better. So, yeah. I, I think it's only going to get better from here, and it feels like City's just 
I don't know. Personally, it feels like City's just going to run away with the title. I hope so. I hope so. That's, Liverpool, that's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> Liverpool are concerningly winning, winning ugly to me, and I hate when they win ugly. They're, they're, I feel like they're more of a threat than Arsenal this season. I don't like how Arsenal are playing. Arsenal, yeah, they're they're kind of winning ugly as well. But that's the thing is neither of them look great. Convincing, like, yeah. Convincing in multiple games, neither of them. Honestly, to me, the two most convincing teams so far have been Brighton and Spurs. <laughs> like they honestly, like both of them have performed more consistently than Liverpool and Arsenal. Like almost every game, both they look very good. Both of them. Yeah. Well, you got Arsenal versus Spurs next week, so that should be a very, very good game. Oh yeah, that that's that'll be a fun one. I hope yep. Spurs can get some points off of them. Um, I just hope it ends in a draw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just take some points off of them. I'm good yeah, with that. Take, I, I oh. kind of want us to be up ten points by November this season. That's 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 my mentality because we we've got a very tough schedule. To be fair, like you know, I feel like we've had an easy start to the season. So I think. Um, if you look at the schedule, the, the the fixtures that we've had in comparison to the other teams, all the other teams have played each other so far, like the the big six, the traditional big six, or or or, or have had hard games essentially. You know, like Liverpool we've had Newcastle. Chelsea. That's really it. Yeah, we've had Newcastle at home, and Newcastle haven't looked the best this season so far. I'm not sure what's going on exactly. I haven't dived too much into it, but they haven't they haven't looked that great. Um, yeah, they're very unfortunate to lose against Liverpool. Uh, playing against 10 men for, you know, 80 minutes. So, for them to lose that game, that's strange for them. Um, but otherwise, like, yeah, we've had, we haven't had that many tough games and we've got, we're have got we going to have some tough games coming up. So, I think we've got Nottingham Forest at home next week. So, we should win that, right? Well, we have, yeah, Red Star mid-game or mid-week. Mid-week, yep. And then we've got, we've then- got Nottingham on the weekend, right? So, for me, we need to pick up these points because... After that, you got Wolves away, Arsenal away, Brighton at home, Manchester United away, Bournemouth at home, Chelsea away, then Liverpool. So, and then Tottenham as well right after that. So, the, the games are going to come thick and fast and it's all between Champions League games. And, and these tough opponents are, you know, basically after Champions League games. I don't like, know if you saw it um, in Pep's press conference that I think it was in the embargoed section. Um, but he basically said, "Yeah, I'm resting everyone against yeah, Newcastle." Yeah, I've like, seen that. Yeah, yeah, he's he, the, for the for the League Cup game that's in between. So that's just going to be a rest week, rest game, and and it's the right decision. We said it. I've said it before. I feel like to throw the League Cup away this season. You know, I, I feel like the the fifth round it usually hits around December. We're going to be at the Club World Cup anyway, so that means most likely we'll have like two days after coming back from the Club World Cup to to be ready for that game anyway. So you might as well just get knocked out now. There's no point in putting pressure on the season. So like you beat Newcastle, you have another game to play, I think in like October or November, and then you have another one in December. So it's just like, what's the point? We're not we're not going to be able to compete in any of those games um, because of the Club World Cup. So you you might as well just get knocked out against Newcastle. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he plays you know, nine out of eleven kids. He'll probably play like the fringe players that haven't had enough minutes yet. So Calvin Phillips, Sergio Gomez, Calvin Phillips, Gomez, yep, um, from the first team, Oscar Bob, and then Lewis, and then you have like a you know five or six academy players plus uh, Ortega. That's 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 how the lineup will come out, which is unfortunate because it's like 
you like the League Cup for like to get minutes for players like Oscar Bob. Um, but yeah, the way this season's going to shape up with a Club World Cup, you just can't do it. You, you might as well just get knocked out. Yeah, I'm good with that. We've wanted it enough. What other people? <laughs> yeah, we want it. We want it four years in a row. I don't think we need to win anymore for a while. So, <laughs> yeah. Other I, I'd rather. I'd, it. It's fine. Yeah, I'd rather us prioritize Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup. Listen, do, do the treble again. I don't need the quad. I'm, I'm not. I'm not that greedy. Let Eric Ten Hag have it so they can keep him in. Keep him in a job permanently and keep some eighty million dollar players. <laughs> so. I guess here's here's a question. Who so far, who are the teams that have impressed you outside of City? Because to me, City look far and away the most consistent team. Like we've we've essentially dominated almost every minute of every game. I'd say like other than maybe the first 30 minutes against Burnley and the first half against Fulham. Other than that, City have essentially dominated most of their opponents. Yeah, pretty easily. Who, who do you has looked the most impressive outside of City? So, for me, there's only two teams that have like like Spurs have impressed me, but they're Spurs and they'll just do Spurs <laughs> things, right? It's just normal. And they'll go on a good run of form and then they'll do Spurs things, right? Like they got really lucky against Sheffield, right? They could have easily lost that game. Um, so for me. The two teams that have actually impressed me are Liverpool and Brighton. Liverpool for the reason of um, they're winning ugly, but they're winning in in adverse situations. So all their games so far, they could have easily dropped four to five points, right? Against Wolves, the first half, they looked absolutely shocking. Shocking. But they came out the second half, done a tactical tweak, done a couple subs, and they're on fire again. And they deservedly won the game. They should have, they, like, they deserve to win that game based on how they played that second half. If Wolves finished their lunch in the first half, where they had a few really, really good chances, they could have been up two or three nil in that first half, and then the game would have been a lot harder for Liverpool. But that second half performance, they deserve to win that game. Against Newcastle, <clears throat> playing with 10 men for 80 minutes and coming away with a win away from home, that's a huge win. That's a huge win. We know how difficult it is going to St. James Park. It's probably one of the. It's probably I'd rate it as probably the hardest place to go outside of Tottenham away and Liverpool away, right? So it is a very difficult place to go for them to come out of with three points after going down to ten men with 20, with eighty minutes to go or seventy minutes to go is a really really good performance, right? So they they're winning ugly, so that's what concerns me. Um, and they need time to click. They do have a bit of defensive. Defensive issues like center back and defensive midfielder, they're not the most strong there, but they attack so much and they have some attacking firepower that even if they're a little bit unsolid in the back, they yeah, they can still beat you, right? So that's what's impressing me about that. The only other team that's really impressed me is Brighton. And the way they're playing, they've lost Cassiato, they've lost McAllister, you know, they've lost two big midfielders from their from their team. They lost they lost Colwell. That was Cole because uh, he he went back so, on loan or went yeah. off of loan. Yeah, exactly right. So they've lost a lot of players and they've just looked the same as last season. Yeah, right? it they're, doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, they absolutely they absolutely battered Manchester United oh, away and, from home. They lost in CISO to injury as well. Yeah, so they've lost players. Remember they lost. 
they've lost a lot of players. So to me, it's a it's a combination of yeah, is it the Zerbi or is it the system or whatever it is? But they just look fantastic, absolutely fantastic. It's the Zerbi. It's a hundred percent Zerbi. Like they it, it, look absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. So they're the two teams for me. I'm not sure about you. Um, who you found the most impressive so far? I would say Brighton and Spurs. I know I, I said it earlier. To me, Liverpool. The problem is they haven't looked very impressive in every game. Like Brighton's looked very impressive in essentially every game except West Ham. Um, Liverpool have like they've been very hot and cold, even though they've pulled out the results. And I don't think that like putting in consistently those performances will not carry you through a Premier League season where you're rewarded with consistency. Right, like that's how you win yeah. the Premier League is consistency. Now, what that can they'll do, get, they'll is get that better, can get though. them to like that can get them to win their cup competitions. That can they'll get, get better them though. The, the Europa League, they will, but that, that's I don't why know. Consi- th- that, I don't think those defensive issues can be fixed really yeah, like, that, but without personnel. Yeah, because like if you and, look, if you, the, the thing is Liverpool, and this is why I find them hard to judge, is so. Chelsea, the first game of the season, whatever, right? It's a, it's a tough game away from home at Chelsea. But Bournemouth and Newcastle, both games they received a red card and they still came out of the win, right? They absolutely battered Aston Villa. Like, wasn't even close. Like, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know how Aston Villa set up, but it was absolutely terrible. And the Wolves game was after an international break. Um, McAllister looked absolutely horrible in that first half, but then they adjusted in the second half and it looked fantastic. So, they're hard to judge right now because they haven't had a consistent run of games where they've had a, had their team set in place and just playing consistently, right? So it's hard to judge. But like I said, they're winning these games that they shouldn't be winning, <laughs> right? So that's where I'm concerned. Where I'm just like, okay, they might be really good this season because they're playing, they're winning games that they shouldn't be winning and that's kind of the Liverpool way, right? They, they kind of do this. And so they did in 18-19 they did it a lot in, in, in the nineteen twenty season. They, they, they almost got 100 points and won the league. They actually didn't yeah, look they that still great. Like, no, they did. They, they created a lot of tons of look chances. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they did. They created, like, they still dominated most games, and sometimes it took them a little longer to break through. But yeah. they, like, they deservedly won a lot of those games, whereas this year, a lot of the time, they look bad and they pull out a win. And yeah. that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable. Like those other years, it was like it felt almost inevitable that they were going to break through every game, and they dominated most of them. This year, it feels a little more—I I wouldn't say lucky, but like just unsustainable. It, it kind of reminds me of um, under Ole when United got in second place that one year and they <laughs> yeah. were just like scoring. They were just getting lucky. It was like every single, like they would just went off like some individual brilliance. Like Bruno most, just I think, hits I think like they had a the most 30 comebacks. yard screamer. It was like the most yeah, second like, half comebacks or some shit. <laughs> yeah, it's like Bruno hits a 30 yard screamer or like Marcus Rashford dribbles through four people. It's like, it was always something stupid like that where they didn't even look particularly good. They just like, would get random results. And I wouldn't say like Liverpool's a much more organized team than than that United, but that's how it feels is like, that's not sustainable. They are undefeated in the last 15 games. 
Yeah, but uh, I still I don't I don't see Look, it personally. Let's see how the next five games go. I feel like that will be a good yeah. parameter because they've got West Ham, West uh, not Leicester. So they got West Ham, Tottenham, Brighton, Everton, and Nottingham Forest. Right, all all winnable games. They usually do really well against Tottenham. So. Um, besides a Brighton game, I think that's must might be their most difficult game. But if they get through those five games, we'll see. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. It could be a three a three three horse race. And like well, I said, we we have the tough schedule coming up, so we need. I and this is the thing with City, like we've looked, we definitely have looked the best team. But I want to see us play the top echelon of opponents, right? So we'll know we'll know how good this City team is when we play the likes of Brighton and Spurs. Um, you know, Liverpool, Arsenal. When we play those games, we'll know how well we are ready for this season because they're the games that matter at the end of the day to me. You know, you have to obviously you have to win against the, the the bottom ten, but the being the big games is is what's going to win you the title this season. I reckon. What what I do love is if when you look around the league and you look at the teams, they're like. Pep's influence is insane. Like, look at look at Spurs. Look at the way they play. Like they like they play a very similar like positional play, play out from the back style. Look at Brighton. Look at Burnley. Even though they haven't done well so far, they've had a really tough schedule in the beginning. But like. <laughs> And you can see it throughout most of the teams. Like, there are very little teams that don't at least play out a little bit. Like, Peps and Arsenal. Like, that's another perfect example. Arsenal. Like, it's everywhere. And it's a lot of it has stemmed, even even United. Like, Ten Hag, he comes from that Ajax positional play philosophy. It's, it's, people are almost, it's, in sports in general, like most leagues, I would call them copycat leagues. Like when one team has success, everyone tries to copy them. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. that's just how it goes, right? Like if Mourinho wins five Premier Leagues in a row or, or something like that, you're going to see a lot of Mourinho style coaches. Yeah, it's true. That's just how it works. So it's like when Conte um, won the league. I just everyone, love it. Everyone, Conte when Conte won the league with 93 points. Everyone tried to do the do the three. Everyone the tries to play a back two three, wing backs. Yeah. yeah. Everyone likes to copy. It's, it's what everyone does. And everyone needs to copy Pep because he's absolutely dominating. So, yeah. I've got a last question for you. What, do you. what game so far this season do you think we've created the most XG? Out of the five Premier League games. My, my guess would be West Ham. Yep. <laughs> West That's, Ham is the highest. Yeah. yeah 3.6. Four, like, well, yeah, 3. it depends on what you look at. I... The, I use um for like diving deeper in actually i use understat.com and they had it at 4.1 oh wow um but they i think they had west ham at like 1.05 or something yeah let me see what they had it at but uh yeah they had west ham at 0.9 and they had city at 4.15 and you know every metric's going to be different but yeah even even though it like that's incredibly high right but City have had what like what's their lowest XG been this year? It hasn't been under two, has it? Maybe one game's been under two. Oh, we've had it. We've had so Newcastle. We only created one XG and Burnley one point nine. Surprisingly, 
Yeah. And ever but, since the but, first two games of the season. Yeah, but both of those games, we only allowed 0.3 XG. So you could tell how the game was going. We were, we were just suffocating the opponent so, rather than creating more chances. So using uh, or looking at understat, understat has Burnley City had 2.4. Newcastle City had 1.23. Then Fulham City had 2. Sheffield United City had 3.85 and then 4.15 against West Ham. Wow. Like that's yeah. That's pretty I, impressive. I, that's probably the most other than maybe Brighton this year. Yeah, I, I use probably pretty close. I use FB Ref, which is um they get them from Opta. Opta's really good with the with the XG. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all going to be They're all different. They're all a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um yeah. but yeah, look, I'm like I said, we've won five games and, you know, we said it before the season started and we said it in a, I said it in a few places where City, I feel like City need to win, need to win their first seven games before they go to Arsenal away. So if they beat yeah. Nottingham and Wolves come up, right, and then they go into Arsenal away with seven wins, which is 21 points, to me that's, you know, undefeated, it basically puts pressure on Arsenal to say we have to win. <laughs> if we want to be in a title race with City, we can't lose to City. And that will put pressure on them because they'll have to go into the game thinking they need to win. So for us to go into that game with that mentality and that win streak behind us is exactly what we need for that game. And then it puts the pressure back onto them. <clears throat> yeah, and the City also, we just need to get much healthier. Like we just That's need to, thing, yeah. we need to get our fitness back. We need to get back to full strength so that we can kind of continue to let this roll. And here's uh here's the I guess one more question is which what is the first game you see Rodri not start in? <laughs> um, Would geez. that be Newcastle? What the 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 late cup game or do you mean Premier League game? Yeah. I mean, any game, probably the League Cup game. Do you think Pep would sit him for Forest or for Red Star? Not Forest, no. He'll start against Forest, but he might he he sit against he won't sit against Red Star because it's the first Champions League game, and Pep likes to start the first Champions League game really strong. So he won't sit that game. He won't sit against Nottingham Forest because it's at home and it's a it's it's a win that we need to get. Though if we do go up three four nil in that game, he'll 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 take him off at sixty minutes. Against Newcastle away in the League Cup game, he's definitely not playing that game. There is no chance he plays against Newcastle. No, right. no, he's not playing that game. No way. If he, That's got to be his first game. If he starts the League Cup game against Newcastle United, I am flying to Manchester and saying to Pep, what are you doing? You're going to run him to the ground. <laughs> you don't no, he, ha- he has to rest that game. That's, that's his rest game for sure. You don't think maybe either Red Star or Forest, if Kovacic is back, that he doesn't go with like a mm, midfield no. two of Kovacic and Nunes? Not, not against Red Star. Because it's a, look, both Red Star and Nottingham are at home, so we're not traveling. They're both home games. And to me, you need to set the tone in the Champions League to start the, to start the first game. You have to. You don't want to be retaining and changing your team so much. You want to go in and get the win, make it important. Nottingham is they've got a four or five day break between the Champions League game and Nottingham. So that's plenty of time to rest and recuperate. But the Newcastle game, it's away at Newcastle. I wouldn't even put Roger in the bus. 
Let him sit at home and rest. <laughs> Let him put I think, his feet up. <laughs> I think another thing, too, that we got to remember is, like, not all of these games are going to be super physically taxing. And it's I can't That's find right, stats yeah. on it because you have to essentially be a professional company to get these stats. But, like, City don't run nearly as much as many other teams in terms of, like, sprints and that kind of stuff. And yep. maybe in distance covered, yes. But, like, against Red Star, if City go up 3-0 in the first half hour or something like that, like, the rest becomes a training exercise. So that's – even though Rodri will be playing, like, that's not incredibly taxing on your body. Yeah. Just no, – it's essentially a training exercise. Uh, with with – with, so until the international break, we've basically got a game um, every three days, right? There's no – it's it's basically three games a week, right? So until yeah. until the until the international break because of Champions League, because of League Cup, etc. So the only the only opportunity for rest is that Newcastle away game, right? All the other games coming up are tough games. You got Leipzig, you got Arsenal, you got Brighton, you got Wolves away, you've got um, Nottingham Forest at home. So basically, you have to, and this is why Pep said it in the press conference, right? Like I'm just going to play the academy players essentially. Because it's the only opportunity for them to rest, and with the injury injury issues that we have with Grealish, Stones, and Kovacic, you don't want to compound the injury issues. So you'll just go, "Yep, I'm just gonna play the kids." I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle do the same because they've, they've they haven't looked the best either, and they've got Champions League. They've got a very tough Champions League group, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's just two teams playing with their kids against each other. Probably, yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting. That's it's been a Great start to the season so far, though. Like, I can't complain. Here's oh, here's one last thing. Uh, Julian Alvarez yes. looked really good today. He did. I'm, I'm actually, I was very impressed because I, I remember I was saying to you before, there might be a chance Alvarez might not start because they played in Bolivia, which is um, away at Bolivia for the international team. Um, for those who don't know, it's it's a very high altitude place to go and play, which means the players actually really suffer in, in terms it's hard of to adjust yeah. yeah it's hard to adjust right so and you just look at McAllister McAllister looked absolutely horrible for Liverpool against Wolves right he he, he was misplacing passes he was he, he just looked absolutely knackered right it's like okay you shouldn't be playing and that's why he got hooked at half time so for Alvarez to come in and look as good as he did and play the amount of minutes he did like you can't complain so it was a f- fantastic performance for for a game that I thought he should be rotated for, right? I, I, if that, if if we had Kevin De Bruyne fit, if we had, you know, if we had our full team fit, Alvarez doesn't start that game. He should not be starting that game. He, Pep would have rested him. He would have said, no, no, you get your rest, recuperate, and you play the next game, right? But because of the injury situation, they were in, he had to play, and he he done his job. He played fantastically. What, what did he get? Two assists. Yeah, he got two assist. assists. He's he's uh, tied for second. In the Premier League now with three assists, him and Foden are both in there. And um, also what was interesting was after the game, Pep said he's almost undroppable. Which means Pep. Which means Pep. His quote words. (laughs) Which means Pep will drop him next week. (laughs) (laughs) But that's 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 high praise. Yeah, it is is high praise. And he's playing that Kevin De Bruyne for us right now. And he's looked good in it. And he's got that knack for goals. He's got the knack for assists. It's a ball player. I, I love to see it because, like, 
there was this big debate in the very beginning of the season, and it's kind of died off, or even in the in the preseason, that he won't get a ton of games, and he's essentially Holland's backup, and him and Holland can't play together. And I think we see now that that's just not true, and yep. that he he is great to have depth at striker if Holland isn't going to play, but. He, I mean, he absolutely can play with Holland. They're they're so different in players in general, and um, it's yeah. He he's he's been fantastic so far, and he started every game. Like, yeah, I on. really think he'll start at least twenty, if not maybe thirty, Premier League games this season. Yeah, well, look. So Kevin Kevin De Bruyne is missing. Um, probably about seventeen or eighteen Premier League games. Right, he's not going to be fit till December. So if we're assuming not fit till December, then he's not starting the first 17 Premier League games and Alvarez will start 15 of those at least, right? So um, obviously he'll get he'll get a bit of rotation as the season goes on because you just don't want to run him into the ground. But essentially until Kevin De Bruyne is back, you have to play Alvarez. That's basically how Pep's going about this season to deal with Kevin De Bruyne's absence. And he said it. He said it I, with, with Gundogan out, Gone, sorry, and Kevin De Bruyne injured. Alvarez has to play those minutes to to supplement the team with uh, with a knack for scoring, that knack for assists. Um, you know, he, we know he's got a, a few weaknesses like first touch and um, you know. But that's getting a lot better. That was very good this weekend. It, yeah, it, it get, all those things get better with more game time. It's like, and that's the that's the advantage with Doka as well, right? The more minutes he's going to get, the better he's going to look. Right, um, and you know how hard right. it is in a pep team. You need to get the minutes to to, to understand how to play. So I, I also think too, like Alvarez, not just you know with other absences. I think that's. I know what you mean that like he he's playing a lot more because other people are injured, but I think there's also more than that. I think he's just so good that he's essentially forcing Pep to play him more. Yeah. Like, he is so good and his pressing and his intensity and what he brings to the team that Pep's thinking to himself, like, I can't drop this guy. He's too, like, he's, because Pep, you think Pep wants to play two strikers? Probably not. So, but some, so, yeah, Pep's something like, to... I need to figure out how to play these guys together and make it work because Alvarez is too good to leave on the bench. So, something, something to remember is that against Burnley, the first game of the season, both Alvarez and Kevin De Bruyne played. They both started the game. Yeah. Right? So, I we kind of know, and I think Pep said it last season, he's like, I need to figure out a way to play them together. So, he was always about trying to figure out how to play them together. With the Kevin De Bruyne injury, obviously makes it easier to, to, to play them together because like, okay, I have to kind of thing. Um, but it'll be interesting to see when Kevin De Bruyne does come back, is Alvarez still part of the best eleven? And and we know how it is with City, right? The, the best starting eleven in October. Yeah, look, the, the best starting eleven in October is very different to the best starting eleven in March, right? And we seen it last season, right? <laughs> if you look at who started in 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 October last season, you had Cancelo, Walker, you had Diaz, you had Laporte, <laughs> you had all these type of players playing in the back line. Right, and then even in midfield and, and attack, it was completely different. You come to the end of the season, and we're playing four centre backs, and we're playing 
Grealish and 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 Bernardo up front, and it's, it changes, right? So, and Pep will do the same thing this season. We don't know, that, but it's good to see to get the minutes, so he understands where he can put players when he needs them. So when it comes to February and March, and you're stuck in a pickle, you're not playing Alvarez for the first time behind Haaland, and you're not playing, you know, whatever it is, you're not playing Bernardo for the first time on the wing. They've done these positions before, so they'll go in and they're going to be ready. And this is what makes our, you know, a lot of people complain about the small squad that we have, but it's such a flexible squad that you can pick and choose different players and play them in different positions, and then they, they're going to excel in those roles no matter what because they've done it before and they've had a lot of minutes in these areas. And that's what that's what Alvarez is getting right now. He's getting the minutes to to help us at the end of the season. Things will change. Yeah. We'll come to we'll come to January. We'll have a completely different lineup and the way of play because Kevin De Bruyne will be yeah. back and he'll, he'll force players in and out. It's just going to happen. It's going to be natural. We might get to yeah. the end of the season and Doku is, it becomes a must starter. Right. You don't, yeah, you, you, we just don't know. And that's that's the exciting part of it. The we beauty, just kind of enjoy the, the ride. It's the beauty of the early hey, season. It's the beauty of the early season. It could be worse. At least we're not Manchester United. <laughs> Remember that. They looked horrible. They did that, not. And it's just, it's imploding. It's They like, are not a serious team this season. So here, I guess, the, the quick question, like, how much do you think all of this is on Ten Hag versus the Glazers or kind of the organization in general? Uh, Look, I feel like they have systematic issues from ownership down, right? It starts at the top and it works its way down. But to say the Glazers don't back the team, yes and no. So they don't back the team because they don't put their own money in and they they take money out of the club. But United's such a big club and they make that much money that they don't need to put money in for them to be a strong team and spend a lot of money, right? Yeah, they spend they, plenty. They, and and I tweeted about this, you know, showed Chelsea and United have spent the most in the last five seasons, but they're both sitting b- beyond mid-table, right? So their issues are a bit of both. They've, they've had a lot of issues in the past and they're trying to fix the issues, but because they're Manchester United, they go after a player and... They tend to do this a lot, and this, this is something that's uh, concerning about how, how they buy players, and it's good for us. I, I don't mind it, but when they want a player, they keep going for that player until they buy him, and the and the selling clubs know this now. They just need we'll just hold out, we'll go twenty million over our valuation, but we'll know you'll eventually pay it. Them buying Anthony for eighty five million is a mistake. You meant to pull out. You offer seventy, they say no, you say fuck you, and you move on. But they don't know how to do that. They, they're so arrogant. They're like, they've got this arrogance about them. They're saying, no, if we want to play, we're going to get that player. Rather than just well, uh, walking away. They need to learn how to walk away. And City do this a lot. And it pisses off a lot of City fans. But you see the results from it, right? When we don't like evaluation, we walk away because we know the play is not worth it, right? If you go over your evaluation over and over and over again, right? it has a downward spiral effect on the rest of your team because every time you go after another player, you end up with the same situation where you need to overpay for the player that you want and then that player doesn't end up working out. Then it affects you buying other players, which causes... It's like it's like a domino effect, right? And then eventually you can't spend enough. So they had FFP issues this season. They couldn't spend as much as they usually do because they didn't make Champions League last season, 
right? And that hurts their bottom line. And the Glazers are not the type of owners to put money into the club, right? So you end up in a situation where they had to be a bit more frugal this season. But again, they go after a player like like Holland, who has a lot of potential. Looks like looks like he looks to be a good striker, but it's a lot of pressure for a player to come in at twenty. Play for Manchester United. He hasn't looked that prolific for Atalanta when he when he was there. He I think he had nine goals last season. So it's not like you're buying a a Haaland type player for eighty million pounds. It's potential. You're buying potential. So you need to give these top players time. And again, they overpay. They always overpay for their players. They do not know how to walk away from players, and it pisses off. Well, City, I, like I said, it pisses off City I, fans. But yeah, I, I think the other part of it too is especially with Anthony, is they bought him because Eric Ten Hag coached him at Ajax. They didn't buy, like, they spent $85 million without, and I, I know it came out that, like, they, you know, these legal issues didn't come up during their due diligence or whatever. I'm not even talking about that. What I'm talking about is they hire a new manager who has a completely different style and way of playing from their old manager, right? Yeah. And Eric Ten Hag comes in and says, I want all of these guys from the Eredivisie, go get them. And United say, okay, and go get them, right? It's not like they were scouting Anthony for years and they were yeah. like, this is the this guy This is exactly we want. the problem. This is, that's the problem is when, when they say backing a manager, it's not just you go get who the manager wants. You think Pep Guardiola has enough to do that he's not scouting all of these guys at City sign. Like, obviously, yeah. he will get a sign-off, right? Like, he probably – they'll probably bring him players like, hey, we want this guy. We think we can get it done. Maybe Pep knows him or has seen him or will watch some film on him and say, yeah, I like this guy. But Pep's not just ha- – like, Pep's got enough on his plate. He's not doing scouting. And for them, like, they go sign Malasia. From the Eredivisie. They go sign Anthony from the Eredivisie. Like all of these guys, Lissandro Martinez from Ajax as well. Um, all of these guys come in. Onana also from Ten Hag's Ajax team. All of these guys, it's like they're just it's, it's, doing it's it because the coach tells them. It's all he knows. It's not, it's there's there needs to be some sort of like um of, they, of they, sinking. They, they need a like they there need needs sh- to be Basically, they need a strong transfer team or committee. So Liverpool have a very different setup, right? They they choose and buy the players. Klopp obviously has a sign-off, but basically it's a separate team that are buying the players and choosing the profile of players to bring in. It's not the manager. Well, then they're generally in sync. Yeah, and managers, managers have a lot of biases, right, when it comes to buying players. And you can see it with Eric Ten Hag. He has biases for players like Lissandra Martinez, players like Anthony, where it's like, oh, this player done well for me in the in the, in the, in, the, in the Dutch league. He's not going to do that great for you in the Premier League. You don't know. Then there's the problem, but this is, this is exactly my point, right? They spend $85 million on an Anthony or $70 million something on Lissandra Martinez. That limits your ability to buy players that eventually you do need. It's like even the Casemiro buy. Everyone's like, oh, it's such a great signing. He's fantastic central defensive midfielder. Yeah, okay, it was I get a panic it. buy. But he's it was 30 a panic years buy old. Because they wanted yeah. Frankie Dion. Yeah, he's 30 years old. 
And what do you think is going to happen in two years? He's, you're going to need to replace him again. He's a, he, I've heard Manchester United play, uh, fans complaining about him already, saying, oh, he's, he's, he's looked absolutely terrible. Real Madrid was happy to get rid of him. Of course they, they were. They were ecstatic to get rid of him. Yeah, because they know their midfield rebuild can start early. And they already had brought all the players they want to bring in. They had brought in Tishomani. They had brought in Kamavinga. They had brought, yeah. and now they've got Bellingham. Like they've already built, they've rebuilt their midfield. So they're happy to take seventy million pounds off off Manchester United. And this but is the problem with Manchester United. They stick. They get this idea that they want a player, and they go pay massive, massive amounts of money for the said player. The fans go, "Yeah, we're buying players," and then they get stuck in this vicious cycle where they're blaming the Glazers. I feel like it, I feel like a lot of these failures on Eric Ten Hag. I don't feel like it's on the Glazers. The Glazers have spent. Yeah, I think it's a mix on transfers. Like it's got to be a mix, right? Like it's it's on the infrastructure in general, which yes. falls on the Glazers. But also, like Eric Ten Hag obviously can't be absolved of this. But at the same time, when you keep getting good managers and they keep failing, there, there's something going on. Like Eric Ten Hag, for a perfect example, like. When, it w- when we didn't know if Pep was going to leave or stay, he was a name that came up as a potential successor to Pep. Do you think if he went to Manchester City, this would be happening? No, I don't. No. I think he'd be much more successful. And that's because he has an infrastructure. He has a style that's, that suits. There's, there's a lot of different things that contribute to his success or failure. But he definitely hasn't helped himself. So that's, that's another problem is... They don't I, look good enough, and that's so pa- that's partially on him. So it's exactly the thing. Like when they brought in, um, they brought in Ole, and he wasn't <laughs> you know, he qualified had, though. That's he different. Had a, like he had a good six months, and then they sign him into a three year contract. They start building a team around what he wants, and then he has a bad run of form, and they get rid of him, and then they start over again, and they go, "Oh, let's copy Pep's style. Let's bring." the nearest manager available to Pep, and that's Eric Ten Hag. So they go get him, and then they start changing their style again. So they've got like a mix well, of Well, no, players. you missed it. Even in between that, they said, let's go get Ralph Ranić. Oh, and just, he's, yeah. going, he's going to be kind of like the guy that we're going we're gonna to embrace <laughs> this German style, right? And then he's going to kind of run our team after the six months, and he'll hire a coach for us. And then that literally went up in flames in three months, and – Ralph Rangnick goes and coaches Austria. So, the, like, they're, they're just look, it, it, it's a shambles really from the poorly top. run. It's a shambles from the top and it works its way down. But some of the blame has to go, like you said, some of the blame has to go on Eric Ten Hag's. Uh, but this, it's kind of like you say, okay, it's his fault for buying these players and wanting these players. But if he's given the keys, technically you can say that's all he knows, right? And you give him the benefit of the doubt. That's what he knows. He doesn't. He's not a scout. He's not a person that's. But here's gonna- a, here's another question though. What manager could turn that around at United right now with their current setup? Like, because they're not getting Pep Guardiola. So, what manager could they get that could single handedly like make United compete for a title? Because I don't with, see one with the, with the current players they have, no one. Or with with the not just the current players, with the current infrastructure, right? Like because the current players <laughs> they paid a lot of money for. They were clearly yeah. talented players. The only the only type of manager that I could see actually working with the chaos that they have is someone like Ancelotti, where it's like 
he thrives in situations where he can put where his style changes depending on the players he has. Does that make sense? So yeah, with, I, with I Eric, don't even with, see that though because the players yeah, well, it, aren't it, it, disciplined still, enough. Yeah, he'll he'll still struggle because like the player, a lot of the players are just not up to the standard they need, right? But in saying that, someone like Eric Ten Hag needs very specific style of players to fit the way he wants to play or the vision that he wants to play with, right? And a lot of the United players that they have don't actually fit what they need. It's like it's just like a mixed bag. Like to me, their midfield is a weird setup. Like you've got Ericsson, Ericsson, Bruno and Casemiro, right? And then you've got their front line. You've got Rashford on the left. They've signed a striker on the, in the middle and then they had Anthony and Sancho on the wing. Like it's just, it doesn't fit. There's just so many missing. It's just a, it's just an odd bunch. So that's what I'm saying. Like Ancelotti is probably the only manager that I could see that could make something work because every other manager you bring in needs specific type of players to make their style work. But with him... He could make something work because you know he plays to the strength of his players, and and he and he would adjust his tactics to the opponent as well. Well, I feel like Eric Hug is a bit more rigid. I, honestly, I think he's just an average manager. I don't think he's that great. There was a lot of hype around him, but I don't think he's that great. That and he just he needs the infrastructure around him, like at Ajax, and I think he would have succeeded at City because. Yeah. He has the infrastructure. He has the play style. He has the players already to fit his style. So, like, it, you're you're putting your manager in the best situation to succeed at that yeah. point. I, I just I just hope they don't go after the Zerbi and Deserbi's not stupid enough to go there as well. <laughs> Me too, because he's so good. Yeah, I I kind of want Deserbi to stay at Brighton for two years, and if and if Pep does leave in two years' time, then we just go after Deserbi because I think he's the replacement for Pep. He yes. will slot in and he will continue the way we're playing. So <laughs> I yeah. hope he doesn't go to there because I, th- I feel like it would, just, it would be like Potter going to, to, to Chelsea, right? It's just kind of ruined him in a way. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it seems like that's United is a graveyard for coaches. So yeah, exactly. I hope he's but- smarter than that. In our, in our, in other way, uh, let's hope Pep stays for another ten years, and we don't need to even worry about that. <laughs> yeah, long may it continue. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, great week. We'll see you guys after a couple games, Champions League midweek, and uh, Nottingham Forest this weekend. See you guys. Awesome. See you guys. Bye.